please be seated. The stories of the birth of Jesus are perhaps the best known and most loved in all scripture. Who doesn't know about the baby born in a stable? Who hasn't heard about the angel hosts and the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night? And who hasn't wondered about the men who journeyed from afar to present gifts to a tiny child? In the telling of the story, each gospel writer reveals something about what is important to their community. In Matthew, for instance, the first people to know of the birth and see the baby are the wise men. Reminiscent of Solomon, whose wisdom drew many rulers to come and pay tribute, the young Jesus attracts the notice and gifts of rich and learned people from faraway places. The genealogy in Matthew strengthens the case. His lineage includes David, the first king of Israel, and goes back to Abraham, the father of the covenant. For Matthew, Jesus will revitalize the promises made to the people of the covenant, the children of Israel, and through them to the rest of the world. Luke comes at it all from a slightly different angle. In his account, the first people to hear of and witness the miraculous birth are the shepherds, lowly and poor, representing those on the fringes of society. They are greeted with news by the angels and in their turn also become heralds as they share their amazing experience with others. For Luke, Jesus comes to preach good news to the poor and marginalized, and they are included in this new thing when he is still in swaddling clothes. Like Matthew, Luke includes David and Abraham in his genealogy, but he goes even further all the way back to Adam, making clear that this new action of God is not just for the children of Israel, but for all of humanity. Now, you may have noticed the opening chapter of John's gospel is very different. There is no baby here. There is no genealogy. John's references to the incarnation would not make for a bucolic scene on a Hallmark card. There are no angels or shepherds or wise men. Instead, John begins with poetry and deep theology. His first reference to the incarnation reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the second, and the Word, which we now know was with God and is God, the word became flesh and lived among us. Did you hear how the gospel starts? In the beginning. In the beginning are the very same words which open the first chapter of Genesis. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. John skips all the way back to the beginning of all things, when the earth was nothing but a formless void, and the word of creation had not yet been spoken. Next in the creation account, God says, let there be light, and there was light. And John echoes this image when he refers to the word as the light. 
John puts it all out there and begins his gospel with a concise statement of what he holds to be true, that the word which was spoken at the beginning of creation has been spoken again in a new way, this time entering human history clothed in human flesh. The maker of all space and time becomes grounded in time and place. The eternal one becomes temporal, and the infinite God becomes discreet in the person of Jesus. But John's concern is not so much what happened when Jesus came into the world, but what his appearance means for us. In the Jewish mystical tradition, they say that at creation, the divine spark shattered and went into every living thing. That means every person contains a spark which connects all living things back to God. In the Christian tradition, we might say that each person has with him, within him or herself the light of Christ. Now, not everyone always acts as though we carry the divine spark or the light of Christ, but I'm pretty sure that's not true of any of you all here today. Still, in the person of Jesus, the divine spark was hard to miss. The word of God, which called into being all things in creation, has been spoken again in a radically new way, in the person of Jesus Christ. The light which is the light, life of the world entered human history to show us what it is to live fully and faithfully. In his living, Jesus will show us how to be truly human and to recognize and nurture the divine spark that is within us. And in his dying, the Christ will reconcile us to God and make reconciliation with one another possible so that we can become children of God. So what does this mean, you know, for us? My friends, it means that we are become children of God. We have become, we are becoming, we will become children of God through no merit of our own. Through Jesus we have been renewed, received grace upon grace and are counted as members of the household of God. We're recipients of Jesus' grace and truth, and we are bearers of the same. It means that the word of God has become flesh so that the word of God might live in our flesh. It means that as God sent Jesus, so God sends us to be the bearer and best evidence of God's justice and mercy and compassion. My sisters and brothers, God has poured upon us the new light of the incarnate word and made us children of God. May we grab hold of this gift that has been given us and claim it as our own, that the word made flesh might be enfleshed in us, that the divine spark might be kindled anew in our hearts, and the light of Christ shine forth in our lives, for the sake of Christ and for God's glory. Amen. <laughs>